Welcome into the Out of the Box podcast as we roll along with Out of the Box Office, our wonderful off-season movie podcast series. We keep having to talk about softball stuff, and I say we, and unfortunately that we does not include my partner Tom Canterbury. He had prior engagements, so he is not on this episode, but I've got some statements from Tom that I'm going to read later. But I'm so excited to welcome in our guest, wonderful player from UCLA, which ties into one of our first topics, a wonderful writer, a wonderful podcaster from D1 Softball, and a wonderful co-host from the Women's College World Series, Tara Henry is back. Tara, how are you? I'm great, Gray. How are you? Sorry for the introduction. Uh, My dog's having a whole bowl of water at the moment, so I I apologize for the the volume on that. That's okay. Red's living the dream. That's how it's (laughs) supposed to go. I'm great. I'm excited to uh, be back talking to you about softball because it's been a few months and uh, couldn't think of a better uh, time to get the ball rolling as we head into fall ball. Oh, yeah. You know, Tom and I do this movie podcast series and we're like, yeah, we're, you know, we're just talking about other stuff. And then softball stuff keeps happening. So that's where we're going to open. That's Tara Henry. I'm Gray Robertson. This is Out of the Box. And we start with the Alabama news. There's obviously a big world college softball news that we'll cover in just a moment but this is an Alabama podcast we start with the tide and the last episode that we did we had Sydney little John Watkins on and we talked about Steph to Memphis we listed all these possibilities who might be the new pitching coach at Alabama and I got one right one of the names is coming to Tuscaloosa Lance McMahon the pitching coach at Illinois now in the same position at Alabama Tara this is something that you've been tracking since I think since Steph was initially talking to Memphis what are your thoughts on how all this unfolded yeah you know it was um an interesting kind of series of events that I think started with Steph actually leaving uh, Alabama and heading over to Memphis and uh just first want to congratulate Steph on on that head coaching gig and and know she's going to do some great big things uh, in that role. But yeah, so it all kind of started off there. We're thinking, okay, who's Murph going to go out and get? And then he goes and uh, picks up Lance. And then we're thinking, all right, so Lance is going to Bama. Honestly, I I did not see that one coming. But now that everything else has unfolded, it it makes a little bit of sense. Uh, And then Van goes to to Illinois. So there's this Bama kind of, connection going everywhere it just kind of started the ball rolling and I'm interested to see kind of what Lance does with that pitching staff I I think you know it might rejuvenate those pitching those pitchers I don't know what's going to happen but I think having a new set of eyes is going to be good for the tide and we'll see what happens as we head into season I am reminded, of course, that the Alabama volleyball coach, Rashinda Reed, also a former Illinois assistant coach. So the Tuscaloosa Champagne pipeline, very strong right now. <laughs> I mean, and, and there's just been so many coaching moves over the course of the summer. And this was a big one. Uh, you know, obviously the Texas A&M with Trisha Ford going over to, to be uh, the skipper with the Aggies. But this set off Steph going to Memphis set off a, a series of kind of dominoes and, and we'll see how that impacts. You know, we got Van heading over to, to Champaign and a former head coach and, and obviously Alabama ties as well. And, and we'll see how kind of that all kind of plays out heading into 2023. 
Well, I was really thrilled to get to meet Lance and get to know Lance this weekend. We kind of had a little Bama U shindig, had some support staff over. We, we cooked some burgers. We got to chatting, and he's a great guy, uh, amazing puppy. Just uh, Rosin is his dog. Great, great name for the dog of a pitching coach. And he's got some really good ideas. And I, I think that he is going to be a nice voice in that room with those pitchers. And I'm really excited to see what he can do with this pitching staff, because we know what Montana can do. We know that there's still a couple of things that she can tweak, but at the same time, it's a really good baseline to have. And then the rest of the staff, it'll be all about how he utilizes those arms with Lauren Esman and Jayla Torrance and Alex Salter. And that's something I'm really pumped to see. I will also read Tom's statement. Tom Canterbury says, and I quote, I'm really excited to see what Lance can do, especially in developing the depth and then he added he will have more to say on the next podcast. So Tom Canterbury, also very pumped. He was at the shindig for Lance. And I think it's just, at least from our side, from the support staff side, it's fun to be able to welcome somebody new into the Alabama family. And I'm really excited to get to know Lance over what will hopefully be many years in Tuscaloosa. And Lance did a great job at Illinois with uh, Lauren Wiles and, and Tori McQueen. She had some incredible games this past season in 2022, and I got to to watch a handful of those games. And I think you're right. I think a, a new face, fresh face at, with the tide will, will help, you know, kind of maybe add some new um, dimension to that pitching staff. So uh, I am excited to see how he kind of fits in because we're so used to seeing the same kind of faces on that coaching staff, but uh, yeah, we'll see how Lance does uh, with the tide. It is going to be different. You know, we've been reading the same three coaches <laughs> for 11 years. <laughs> so that'll be something Tom has to adjust in his pregame script for the first time, literally ever since we've been doing this job. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm sure you guys, you're professionals. You'll be fine. That we adjust on the fly. And I will also add for the Alabama fans out there. I did talk to Lance this weekend. He does want to come on the pod at some point. So we're going to give all of you a chance to get to know him as well. And I don't know if we can have Rosin on the pod, but maybe, you know, you'll see her at games. Oh my gosh. You got to have Rosin on the pod. I mean, we can get, I mean, Red's already been on the pod. He's dragging his uh, harness around because he wants to walk uh, and he's at a full bowl of water. So you got to have Rosin on. I mean, it just makes the pod even that much better. The big news across all of college softball is also coincidentally from the big 10 as the retirement of Carol Hutchins from Michigan, strange time for goats retiring. As we record tonight, we're about 35 minutes away from Serena Williams, possibly playing her last professional match ever. And Carol Hutchins, little did we know her games in the Orlando regional this past year would be her last games as the head coach at Michigan. And obviously one of the legends of the game, the winningest coach, she won the national championship one year, Tara. I'm sure that'll be something that you can touch on. But just what a, what a face, what a voice for this sport over all of the 30-plus years she was in Ann Arbor. Yeah, I must say, I, I know that 2005 national championship pretty much changed. I think it arguably changed the course uh, of our sport and the possibility of anybody kind of east of – East of the West winning <laughs> a national championship, but that Michigan team was so good. Jenny Ritter, uh, Samantha Finley, and uh, playing against Michigan in that finals is still to this day one of the toughest uh, series that I've ever been a part of uh, as a player. But Hutch, uh, just what a legend. And for her to retire on the 50th anniversary of, of Title IX, 
uh, for her to do what she did at Michigan, for her to be a pioneer for uh, uh, female coaches across uh, the country, not only in softball, but in women's sports, just a lasting legacy. And I, I watched uh, some of the press conferences that she's had uh, at Michigan and she does, she just bleeds blue and for her to be in our sport and, and a trailblazer, it's, it's a tough time. Cause you know, she's, we're no longer going to see Hutch in the third base box with her hands like on her knees. And uh, you know, even this year still to this day, she just went straight to the ground on a foul ball, like just cat-like reflexes still to this day. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I'd get that she could coach for another 50 years. Uh, that's how much energy Hutch has, but what a legend and somebody that uh, will be truly missed on the field. But her lasting impact has been with not only her, her players at Michigan, but who they've become uh, after uh, being softball players uh, under her tenure there. Yeah, and I think it's perfectly encapsulated in the reaction and just overall the video of when she surprised Amanda Chittister at AU this past weekend. That was one of many highlights from the final weekend of Athletes Unlimited. In particular, that clip, it really just kind of pulled at the heartstrings when you saw how much that relationship meant, even though Chitty hasn't played at Michigan in a decade. And you can see that the relationship that Hutch has with her players is just so special and she has been able to uh, help young women, uh, not only in the sport of softball, like I said, but just to become great leaders in whatever uh, career path they choose. But Chitty, I mean, what an epic end to a career. Right? Are you kidding me? To have that type of an at bat and then to get, to get the payoff in the end and hit a home run on your last at bat of your career, just it's almost like the stars were aligned for her and Michigan and totally Michigan like moment uh, for her to do that. And couldn't think of a better person, better player. Uh, and again, a congrats to Chitty on her retirement as well, because she put a lot into this sport and a lot of people don't, that don't understand that she helped grip bridge that gap for team USA. And she stuck with it. And, and she did the hard things when our sport wasn't at an Olympic level and, players weren't being paid to play professionally. And Chitty was a part of the, that one of the greatest players that bridged that gap for, for our sport. So again, uh, congratulations to Amanda Chittister and her career uh, and everything that she's also done uh, for the sport of softball. Yeah. And we'll bring up a little bit more Michigan in just a moment because they had probably the quickest coaching quote unquote search in the history of collegiate sports. But I do want to give us a chance to tell some Hutch stories because I've only got one. I've met her once and it was a total coincidence. I went to Omaha for the men's college world series in 2019 after Alabama had been eliminated. My dad said, Hey, you want to go to Omaha? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And Michigan was there that year. And we were looking for a place to eat breakfast. And we just so happened to run in to Coach Hutchins. And I was so nervous. I was like, oh, man, I'm just some little rinky-dink radio guy. I can't go talk to this woman. But I did. And, man, just you could just tell the competitive fire when I when I said, well, Coach, hopefully we'll see you next year uh, in OKC. And she said, oh, don't worry, you will. And, you know, who knows what would have happened? That was 2020, that upcoming season. So you never know. But just what an awesome, cool person. And, Tara, I'm sure you've got some stories as well, not just from playing against her. Maybe on the golf course? I don't know. Hutch is a rabid golfer. I know. I actually have never played golf with Hutch. That's probably on my to-do list. But no, she's just 
just the stories of of Hutch at NFCA conventions and, and uh, playing against Michigan. Just her and Sue Inquist were, you know, at that time the two uh, head coaches, female coaches that were going head to head and just tough as nails. Her teams were always incredibly gritty and the, even that at bat that Chitty had this weekend, that's so it was such a Michigan at bat. Like it, it, they were just tough outs and they all took on her persona. And that I believe is one of the key reasons why they, she was so successful there and the winningest coach in D one uh, softball history. So again, uh, we're losing a legend, but also uh, gosh, what, how many great years we had uh, Hutch at the helm at Michigan. I couldn't be happier for her and hope she gets loads of rounds of golf in, uh, in her retirement. Uh, so, uh, no, yes, plenty of stories, but, uh, just gosh, yeah, we're, we're, it's, it's tough to not be able to see her in that third base box. I think next year, uh, in 2023, it's going to be really a, a change. Yeah. And said we're seeing Bonnie Thole. And again, I call it the coach, the quickest coaching search ever about an hour after, Coach Hutchins' retirement was announced. Michigan said, hey, we have a new head coach. And it wasn't really a surprise at all, Tara. No, and I, you know, some people were asking, oh, who do you think it is? Are they going to go after somebody? I said, well, the way that it was announced and uh, from what I hear, I, I, I was pretty confident they were going to stay in-house and it was going to be Bonnie or even Jen Brundage. Like, I, I think it could have easily been Jen as well. And But even in the press conference with Bonnie, the emotion and and – how loyal she was to Michigan, both of them on that coaching staff and uh, just continuing to have that legacy there. I I think Bonnie was the, you know, the next choice. And I think we all kind of thought that was going to happen. And it was real quick. It was like an hour, right? Oh, the coaching search is done. Um, But hopefully we can all celebrate Hutch and and we'll see her out uh, at the various tournaments uh, next season. But, you know, I'm not surprised that that's what they did and the way that they did it. Was it a little late in the season? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I was really surprised to have it be end of August, maybe to keep recruits may, you know, I'm not quite sure, but uh, again, not a surprise that they stuck in, in house uh, at Michigan. And it is going to be an interesting, almost, you know, personnel wise transition year for Michigan when you lose so many pitchers to the portal and they had some key people graduate and they're going to be in Clearwater as well Alabama as well a bunch of good teams early in the season next year so not to get too far ahead but Michigan's going to be tested very quickly so the Bonnie Thole era is going to get off to an interesting start I think well yeah and we you and I both know Gray that they lose uh an insane amount of arms in the circle uh, in Alex Soraco and <laughs> well, Weidra and Lauren Esman. Yeah. Annabelle Weidra. And that's going to be a challenge. That's going to be a challenge for them uh, to, to be able to hold it down on the circle, losing Alex Soraco uh, to the Oklahoma Sooners as well. That's a huge, that was a huge um, loss for them. But uh, I spoke to Alex Soraco uh, at in Rosemont actually at AU. And I think she's really excited to, head on over to Norman. She's there now. But when I spoke to her, she was just packing up her stuff to head down there. And I think she's pretty excited to be uh, a part of the Oklahoma Sooners uh, and get some run support there. She didn't really have... (laughs) That won't be an issue. That won't be an issue at Oklahoma. I'm just going to take a a shot in the dark. All right, before we move on to the the out-of-the-box office portion of the show, Tara, is there anything else that I feel like we should touch on? I do want to briefly mention... 
our friend Joe Evans, friend of the pod, friend of the SEC, after parting ways with Texas A&M, going to UC Santa Barbara. And what a place to potentially wind down your coaching career, the beautiful beaches of Santa Barbara, California. I'm really happy for Coach Evans. I mean, seriously, I, I was con- I was considering maybe putting my coaching resume together to go up and uh, maybe uh, head up the gauchos. And uh, no, Does Coach I- Evans need a radio guy. <laughs> we will journey over every now and then if we need to. But what a pickup by Santa Barbara. I think she's going to do what needs to be done there. I think bringing that program back to um, what it it was, it, you know, back in the day, Santa Barbara was always a tough uh, program and I think it's lost a little bit of that, but she brings that prestige. She will be retiring maybe uh, in Santa Barbara, which is a lot different, you know, than, than College Station. So I was really happy to see that hire and think it's a great move for the Gauchos and good for Joe Evans. Good for her to head on out and, and come to the, the West coast here. And, and we'll see how she rebuilds that program. And I mean, who wouldn't want to go to Santa Barbara? I mean, one of the best colleges I've ever been to. Sign me up. I mean, road trip. We will come for a weekend. If there is a bye week Tom and I are there. That's it. I mean, coach Evans has ourselves. We, we can do this. You guys could come, you could stop off in San Pedro and then head on up to Santa Barbara. I'll go with you. That's it. This is the West Coast tour that the Out of the Box Nation has been clamoring for. <laughs> I mean, we can make this happen, Gray. You know, I'm here, I'm here for it. Any other big time softball headlines before we move into the main event of this obviously podcast? De- obviously, Deja Mulipola winning AU. We talked about that. Chitty's retirement, Danielle O'Toole's retire- retirement, and Alyssa Denham. What a performance for her to come into eight. I mean, if you would have told me Alyssa Denham was going to be one of the top players uh, in the country, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I would have said, oh my gosh, you're, you're crazy. Uh, I really would have. But for what she, what she did, not only in the circle, but as a manager as well, we talked about this. Her to arguably draft, in my opinion, one of the best teams of the entire AU Champ Series season three. Uh, I was so impressed with her. How about those Arizona Wildcats just getting it done uh, in pro ball? You got Danielle O'Toole winning uh, AUX, and then you got Deja Mulipola uh, winning this champ series with Alyssa Denham right behind her. It's almost like Mike Candrea was a good coach. I don't know. I Maybe. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is there enough evidence yet to support that? <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty. I think uh, I think we've got a lot of evidence to, to support that that claim or or fact. I think it's actually just a fact. <laughs> it's absolutely a fact. <laughs> Oh man, so much happening in the quote-unquote offseason and softball. Again, we'll have Lance McMahon, the new pitching coach at Alabama, come on the pod very, very soon. And we're very excited for fall ball to start too. That is just around the corner, which is just beyond incredible, Tara. So we're moving on from the softball portion. Now it's time to talk about baseball because Tara, I hate losing even more than I want to win. Along with special guest Tara Henry, I am Gray Robertson. This is Out of the Box Office, and this is Moneyball. Ah, yes, it's Moneyball. Henry. No, Tom. Tom 
has a lot of thoughts about this movie. He he doesn't hate it. That's why he's not here. He's got a prior engagement, as I mentioned earlier. But Tara, this is a movie that you selected for this episode of Out of the Box Office. It is probably the most critically acclaimed movie that we will do in this entire podcast series. And I'll explain just some of the accolades that it got and some it probably should have gotten in just a moment. But Tara, why, why Moneyball? Why is Moneyball an important movie to you? Uh, you know, I just, in terms of kind of what it meant and what it represented, I think it really highlighted the change in our sport, not only baseball, but in softball and the use of analytics and, and you had an old school mentality versus a new school mentality and how to be the most efficient with what you, you know, what you had and taking undervalued players and making them great. And that's, gosh, that's what I really love about it. I, I know there's the Billy Bean, the big picture, and it's that big story, but putting emphasis on how we value players and their contribution to a team. Uh, I think this was the first time in my life where I was like, oh, hey, yeah, no way, I get this. And some, you know, it's not all about batting average. It's not all about, you know, the home runs. It's, you know, on base percentage, uh, mm-hmm. on base slugging percentage. So, Uh, I just think it's really cool. And I think it translates really well into uh, our sport of softball, obviously. Uh, And that's why I chose it. And, um, you know, who doesn't love a Brad Pitt and a Jonah Hill film? I mean, it's, they were incredible in my opinion. It's always a win. And I do love that part of this movie as well, because on this podcast, one of the things that Tom and I always stress, even though we might not outright say it is on base percentage is at times, and you know, most of the time, far more important than pretty much any other stat on the stat sheet. And how much you get on base usually directly correlates with how your team does. And that's why that's the stat that we reference so much on the air on this podcast. And I love that this is a movie basically saying, how often do you get on base? You're a professional player. I love that thought. Absolutely. And it's not how you get on base. It's that you just get on base. You can walk, you can get hit by a pitch, you can you can have a single, you can have a double, you can have a dribble. I mean, obviously home run, everybody loves home run, but I just love that about this movie. And I just can't say enough about the analytics portion. Now, do I think there's a feel to the game and being a coach? Yes. But I do think also we've got to take some of the emotion out of it. And this is, has showed you that you can, you can do that uh, and be quite successful at it. Yeah, I think that the feel part is why the A's never got as far as they wanted to go, but it does work to a certain extent. And you're right, we have seen the game kind of transition more to that. And we've done past media days. Tom's question was, how do you, speaking of all the head coaches, use analytics? And for the most part, everybody said it is factored in a great deal. So that shift is something that we've seen grow quite a bit over the last 20 years. And this movie really took everything by storm. It was a critical hit. It was a box office hit released September 23rd, 2011 directed by Bennett Miller, who also directed Fox catcher Tara, I'm not sure if you've seen that phenomenal film. Highly recommend it. Steve Carell prosthetics galore. It's great. This is an Aaron Sorkin screenplay with Steven Zalian. I apologize if I'm saying that wrong, but you're nodding your head, Tara. There's a lot of Sorkin in this script. (laughs) Yeah. I'm writing down Fox Catcher because I got to watch that now. <laughs> you mentioned Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Robin Wright. That's something we'll dig in later. She's quote unquote in this movie. <laughs> oh, I'm right there with you. I have this on my notes. Keep going. Yes. Chris Pratt, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, 87% on Metacritic. 
initially Steven Soderbergh was going to direct this movie and eventually went to Bennett Miller, Brad Pitt and conversations in 2008. A fact I found that I didn't know Scott Hatterberg and David justice initially going to play themselves in the movie. Really? I don't think this movie is nearly as good. If that is the case. You never know. I mean, don't, you know, don't put it past them, but maybe, I mean, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know that it would have been as uh, impactful with, with them acting as themselves because I do yeah. think Chris Pratt does a, a great job uh so but yeah no uh i'm excited to get into it and and i just rewatched it so it's all fresh in my mind and, and can't wait to chat about it all right before we dive into the categories though we do have to talk about the oscars tom's not here i can do what i want i am angry we saw moneyball get nominated for best picture best actor best supporting actor best adapted screenplay film editing sound mixing didn't win a single dadgum thing should it have won best picture the winner was the black and white silent-ish film, The Artist. Other nominees were The Descendants, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, The Help, Hugo, Midnight in Paris, The Tree of Life, and War Horse. Moneyball is by far the best movie of that list. I don't know what you think, Tara, but I can't, I can't believe this was not the best picture. I remember when it didn't win thinking, wow, gosh, what a snub. How it didn't win a single? I, I'm actually, it didn't win a single... Uh, Oscar? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I'm shocked. I'm actually shocked. How about Best Actor? So Jean Dujardin from the silent-ish black and white film The Artist wins Best Actor over Damien Bashir, George Clooney, Gary Oldman from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is actually an excellent performance, and Brad Pitt. Of those five performances, Brad Pitts blows everybody out of the water. Again, Gary Oldman, that's awesome. The Descendants, funny movie, good Clooney. But the, Brad Pitt should have gotten something for this. Oh, 100%. I, I mean, just throughout the entire movie, I mean, we'll talk, we'll get into it. But one of my favorite scenes is when he's sitting across from Jonah Hill and they're doing the uh, the ringtone trade. And they're, he's on and off, he's on the speakerphone, off the speakerphone, like just calling uh, the GM from the Giants. The G- I mean, it is, that is partly i just think he's so good and he's eating popcorn and he's spitting popcorn out i swear he's always eating popcorn or, or, or eating in his films i think brad pitt is always eating in his films uh but you know just incredible performance and, and yeah i'm shocked that it, it didn't win a single uh, oscar i really am so i don't you know i don't need to defend brad pitt because he's you know gotten a lot of money and won a lot of awards but justice for brad pitt that's crazy i don't know how he lost that year jean dujardin come on the artist i didn't uh, even the artist the artist is not going to be featured on out of the box office that i can tell you <laughs> right noted but i didn't even see it so um i guess i can't really you know judge if i didn't watch the artist that's okay. I don't think anybody's seen it. Let's start with the segments and begin with Memory Lane. Tara, where did you first see the movie Moneyball? Uh, you know, I actually was living in San Francisco at the time. And it's funny because everybody was a Giants fan and I grew up a Dodgers fan. And when I moved to San Francisco, I decided I, there's no way I could be a Giants fan. Like there's just no way. So I became an A's fan and I used to actually take BART, uh, the transportation system in San Francisco over uh, to the Coliseum, the Coliseum, right? Sorry, there's the Coliseum here as well. And I would watch A's games and like nobody would go to the A's games. And 
everybody would go to the Giants games. Uh, and the Giants end up winning, I think, in 2012, uh, the World Series. But uh, was living up in the Bay Area at that time. So it was actually quite close to me. And I, I became an A's fan. Uh, I could not be a Giants fan, but I lived up there. So I had to choose one or the other. And um, the Giants were no longer playing at Candlestick Park. They were then downtown. It was this big kind of, you know, every game day, everybody in the city would go to uh, watch the Giants. And I would get on BART and I would go across uh, <laughs> and watch the A's. <laughs> and it was, so I was in San Francisco at the time. That's awesome. This was a movie for me that I didn't get to immediately. And I kind of stalled. I watched it in bits and pieces. And so when COVID happened, and we we're all at the early part of the pandemic saying, what do we do all day sitting here at home? Because, you know, Tara, you get it. My job was sports. There were no sports. Er- ergo, I had nothing to do. So I was like, you know, I'm going to catch up on all these movies that I've been saying I'm going to watch and just haven't had the time. Moneyball was one of the first on that list. And so I went downstairs in our house, shut out all the lights, closed all the doors, put on Moneyball. It was excellent. And I've watched it a couple of times since then. It checks a lot of the boxes for what you're looking for because it's a, it's a sports movie, obviously. And there are some non-sports things that are for the non-sports crowd that we'll get to in just a moment. It's a family drama as well. It's really one of the better made sports films you could ever see. And it's something that I return to often. It, so much so that I bought it on Amazon Prime a couple of weeks ago and we just so happened to need it for this podcast. So that was very easy. Really? You didn't know this is before that? This was prior. This was like two weeks before. Oh, wow. That, I mean, that that's, I mean, that was destiny, I think. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, no, I, again, I, I've seen a lot of sports movies and this is by far one of, one of my favorites. So uh, I can't wait to dive into it. Let's dig into the Rhodes House Award for best scene, which full scene stands out in the movie. I've got some nominees, Tara, please throw yours in as well. I want to start with Billy meets Peter going to his little cubicle. I love that. I love how the camera hovers over the edge of the cubicle as Billy's walking around looking for Peter. Yeah. I mean, and in his cubicle, I don't know if you saw everything in the background of his cubicle, like his, the statistics that were on the, the, the various notebooks, uh, the seating chart or um, actual stadium seating that was there, just the whole idea of his cubicle and everything in that tiny little spot. And, and him sitting on his desk, kind of just like having that, just chat with him. Like, why, why did he listen to you? Like wanting to know and him just, you know, kind of terrified, but also like, oh my gosh, Billy Bean sitting on my desk, right? Like <laughs> why this guy come over and sit on my desk right now? But you yeah, know, I, I, I huge fan of that scene. And, and even before uh, when they're in the room, I thought that back and forth between uh, the various actors uh, in uh, the executive's office. Uh, th- that was pretty, that uh, was a pretty great scene as well. That was good stuff. Again, pure Sorkin. That's just dialogue on dialogue on dialogue, which I love. The first scout meeting with Peter in it and the pointing, does he need to be here? Yeah. <laughs> Pete, what number? I, just so, so good. I mean, the collection of scouts in there, first and foremost, that is basically what, you know, old school scouts look like. The way they're dressed, all of the various mag, you know, the players with the magnets on the boards, him throwing. I love the action of Brad Pitt throwing the names uh, and them sticking to the board, right? Like just, and the noise and then him pointing um, over, like I, like you said, I, I think another key scene and in, in introducing what it's like in those rooms or what it was like 
uh, in 2002 back then uh, with those scouts and, and that change of changing of the guard, you really start to see them not wanting them to come into their, you know, I, I want to say ballroom, but it's not a ballroom. They're not a ballroom. But like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> they're doing ballroom dancing, the scouts. <laughs> Can you imagine them doing salsa? Anyways. I can't imagine those guys standing up. The elderlies were not mobile, let me tell you. <laughs> but they did not like uh, him, a kid that's never played baseball, went to Yale using stats, coming in, telling them how to do their job. But I, I, I agree with you. I think that was another key scene. A couple others that I love, and then Tara will get to some of yours. Billy blowing up in the locker room. Oh, man. It's, it's iconic. And I think as somebody involved in sports, I'm sure, Tara, you can even say more on this. I felt that. <laughs> I felt that so much in my soul. I remember in high school, we would be losing, we would lose a basketball game and I'd be sitting there on the bus just stewing and all, you know, I'd have people in the back jamming out, you know, listening to music, talking, laughing. I'm like, does this not make you angry? And to watch that in movie form, I, I felt like was almost cathartic. Yeah. I know I've been on both sides of that, I think. And, you know, sometimes when you, do go on somewhat of a losing streak or, or you are struggling as a team or you're, you are struggling uh, at the plate. Let's say you're in a slump. Sometimes you need to kind of loosen up and, and be a little bit wild in the locker room, but you know, getting caught by the coach like that, just him getting basically smashing the radio or the CD player. If that, I think it probably was a CD player and then him throwing the bat and just really holding them accountable. I, I, I think, you saw that he was a true leader uh, holding them accountable. I mean, now it should be smashing stuff around. Maybe not, but uh, again, a great scene and Giambi up dancing. I mean, they, they set it all thing up like, Oh, he's been in trouble for smoking weed and he's in strip clubs and all that. But they set that whole thing up and have him be the one up there dancing and then hit them getting rid of him. I think that was a huge part of their success too, because if you've got a player on your team that doesn't necessarily fit or uh, maybe a bad apple, uh, sometimes it's better to just kind of cut that bad apple loose uh, than have it impact the entire team. Three more that I want to get to, and then Tara, I'll let you throw you in any. All the same ones, so they're like the ones that you. It's the same. All right. Well, then I'll, I'll let you speak about the one that we referenced earlier with some back and forth on the phones. Everything from Billy hearing it's eleven to nothing on the radio to the end of the victory in the streak. That's that's just phenomenal stuff. And then one of my personal favorites because you gotta love some good quiet character work. The final scene, the closing scene with Billy Bean listening to his daughter Casey sing the song in the car as he's toiling over this big decision. I think it's probably some of the best acting in the movie from Brad Pitt, and it's just shot so beautifully that it's it's a great way to wrap up that film. Tara, I know that there's some other stuff you want to touch on too. Just when him and Jonah, they're talking about at the trade deadline and as normal, not normal, but just people that aren't involved in trade deadlines uh, as our day-to-day -day, you know, worlds. I think that was really just that scene was great. The back and forth, like you said, the dialogue, uh, him picking up the phone, him going across to Jonah. And then and Jonah's reaction when they actually get... Um, Get, the, get Rincon, like, he's just like, yes, yes. Thank you for your time. <laughs> the slow, like, the slow fist pump, you know? Is that, is that a fist pump? Is that what it I, is? I don't know. Whatever it is, it's, it's potentially pump. up for a later category. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yes. That just... 
that reaction, uh, incredible acting between the two of them and their chemistry on screen and how witty they were, how quick they were and just feeding off one another. Personally, I think it's one of the reasons why the movie is so great is, is the two of them. I love that. I feel like I, I wanted to give that to you because I know you want to wax poetic about it, but Trade Deadline, honestly, from a movie standpoint, might be my favorite. It's just a really fun five minutes oh, yeah. that really stands out in the film. Are you good on, on best scene? Do you want to go to best moment? We're good. We're good. All right, here we go. The Go Award for best moment, the small moment that stands out in the movie. I've got four on my list. First, said by a man who will be referenced later, who's Fabio makes me laugh every time by the old scout when they're talking about what kind of player that they're looking for. Just an old man saying, I don't know what you're talking about and I'm going to pronounce this name wrong. Iconic makes me laugh every time. I love the exchange between Billy and Ron Washington. You could say this is best quote, but I'm not sure it qualifies. It's, it's just more of a great moment in the movie. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, Wash. It's extremely hard. Anything worth doing is. It's just an amazing back and forth. Anything you want to touch on, Tara? Uh, you know, when he tells uh, Jonah to go and fire or, or trade uh, uh, Payne, he's like, you just go and do it? He's like, yeah, just just go and do it. Uh, and, I, and I think the simplicity of it, just him giving him that uh, ability to go in there. And he goes, oh, I can't be friends with him. And then him going on the bus going on the road uh, and sitting, I think he was sitting next to justice. And the other thing is the dollar Coke. uh, Like you have to pay a dollar for the Coke. And he's like, really, man, like he likes to keep the money on the field. And he's like, I don't see where that money's going. He's like, I'm done. And then he puts on his earphones. Like justice is like, I'm done with this. Uh, And then eventually in the movie, they they don't have to pay for Cokes anymore, but um just a few of those small moments. I have, I have a couple others, but I think I have them in other categories, so I don't want to use them all for for each category. Okay, then I will go. I will give my best, and that's of course the Hatterberg home run. That it's it's the classic sports movie moment where you you feel it yeah, in your soul. The obvious one. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the clear winner, but there's yeah. a lot of great stuff too. The Allison Habits Herman Boone Run Through a Wall Award, a character who makes you want to run through a wall for them, whether it be because they motivate you or because you just want to be there for that person. Because in the Shrek out of the box office, I nominated Gingy because I just want to protect that little cookie. But I got to say, it's Billy. This is an easy one for me. Billy is, is the guy. And he's able to get everybody to believe in this system that, frankly, shouldn't work, but somehow does. Yeah, he is the guy and he was a former player. So I think there's a, a you know, there's some respect there. And uh, he obviously didn't play up to the potential that they thought he had. And I think Billy always kind of maybe used that as a chip on his shoulder to, to prove that he, you know, he understands the game and uh, his ability to motivate the team from, from a general management standpoint. I mean, I can't remember. It was just uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is like, you're the general manager. And you know what I mean? Like you're, you know, you're not the manager in the dugout, but he was, and you want to play for him. Even when he's throwing the bat across the locker room, when he's walking through the locker room saying both sides of the plate, or this is what we're going to do today. And great at bats to justice. I, I think you really see that he is a player's manager. Like I, I, I think he just comes across and you really want to do anything for the man uh, and his character. And it makes you wonder what would have happened if he had gotten somewhere else, which we will touch on a little bit later, but I do think it's a great lead in 
into the gold mines. Something from the movie that we love. Little things that still to this day, we just adore about it. And it starts with the Brad Pitt performance. This is, to me, a top three Brad Pitt. Just, he crushes it in this movie. And to be honest, it looked, it's almost like he could have filmed it yesterday. I mean, I just, I just swear Brad Pitt doesn't age. And again, perform his performances over time and how good he is in every role that he plays is just so impressive. You got to love the Oakland A's uniforms. They're still the same. Uh, you got to love that they're still rocking it. I, at one point, I, got, I was looking up, I had notes. He, um, he had an elephant on the A's hat. I can't remember what yes. I wouldn't, it, it took me by surprise because I was looking, I was like, what is that? It was, uh, the manager was wearing it. And yeah. and so I'm like, wait a second. I don't remember when the ele- like elephant for the A's, like, what, what was that about? It, it was on there. And I still like, if anybody knows, can you please tell me? Because I don't know. I couldn't remember. I'm like, what is that elephant? I've never seen it. And if you have one of those hats, we'll take two because it was a cool hat. Yeah, I mean, you can buy these green, new green Oakland elephant hats. So there's got to be some history behind it. Yeah, that's interesting. uh, That was one of the things I noticed. And then um, just the old kind of old computer screens where, you know, they're watching and the old TVs that are like this tiny, right? And he's watching the games on the tiny television. Uh, And then the Excel spreadsheets, all the stats just look like they're from forever ago oh yeah Um, but yeah no just uh, all of that stuff it just you know brings you back but also it also felt feels pretty current as well and it It does i mean the ideas yeah the ideas are are certainly pretty current are there any other gold mines you've got tara before i I read some of my list nope go ahead i love peter's play-doh poster over his bed before he moves to Oakland. I think that's a great touch that shows this is not a sports guy who's about to come in and do sports things. I didn't even notice that. I did not even notice he had a Play-Doh poster. I really don't. I didn't. It's, yeah, it's right over his vest. It's, it's it's so subtle that unless you're unless you've seen the movie a bunch of times or you're specifically looking around, I'm not sure if yeah, the regular person would see it. But I love that little detail. That's just the little character quirk that shows that you know this guy he likes baseball, but he's not a baseball guy. And here he is making such a big difference. I love that. And he's yeah, he's from Yale, and he Yale. Likes, he likes numbers. I mean, well, that just makes sense. <laughs> he likes play. numbers a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't even notice that. It's so funny that you say that. I did notice how well-dressed Brad Pitt was. Like whoever was wardrobe, he just, he was really well-dressed. Other than there's one thing I have a problem with, his burgundy visor. I don't mm. know why they put him in a burgundy visor at one point. Which, it's a tough look. Uh, even for Brad Pitt. And I think, I think it's the scene where he's going to the owner to say, yes. Yes. we still, this is working. That's, I, I wouldn't go with that fit in the keep my job. Yeah, meeting. I want to keep my job, but I'm going to have a burgundy visor on and you're going to take me really seriously with my burgundy visor on, even though it, I'm wearing a visor and I want you, I want to keep my job and I need more money from you. <laughs> he looked like every fake head coach on EA sports games or like in a Geico commercial. Or something. The bike, you know, the bike coaching shorts that all the softball coaches used to wear, those like ridiculous uh, tight shorts, like the gray ones with his burgundy uh, visor hat. That's all he needed. Even Brad Pitt. I mean, he probably would have been great in it anyways, but 
Yeah, no, that's the only wardrobe tra- choice. And I noticed just a ton of um, product placement. I don't know if you noticed that, but just oh, no. a ton of product placement, like Puma, Reebok. When they're in the locker room, there is just product everywhere, just everywhere. And you notice that it was placed throughout all of the scenes, just a ton of product placement. So I noticed that too. Interesting. That's not something I caught on to. There are a couple more I want to touch on. The score from Michael Dana, Chef's Kiss. So good. Music building at different parts. I love it. Spike Jones's house. Incredible. You're overlooking the water. You've got the little infinity pool out back. Good stuff. Casey, his daughter's ability to write songs. Just a Taylor Swift of her time. That's very good songwriting for somebody who's like 12. He's my unsung hero. Okay. We'll touch more on Casey in just a moment. Billy telling Casey not to go on the internet. Totally agree. (laughs) I love when she asks, like, dad, are you going to get fired? Like, you know, imagine being, you know, someone's kid that their their life is just, you know, you could read about it every day. Poor thing. She's like, dad, are you going to get fired? Like, she really is worried about her father not having a job. Um, But yeah, I agree. That infinity pool uh, and Robin Wright, which we'll get into. Why we don't have more Robin Wright, I don't know. It's an issue. Uh, it's an issue. Huge issue for me because I love Robin Wright. It, I, it's written down. Why do we not have more of Robin Wright? But we can, we, I mean, we can get into it. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I would well, love to have a little bit more background uh, we, on that. We've got that in Landmines. And we'll, we'll go into that in just a moment. I wanted to touch on one more goldmine, though. I thought all of the use of the actual game clips, I thought was really smart. And they were able to cut it in a way where you couldn't necessarily, like if you weren't a baseball fan, if you came in knowing nothing about any of these people, I'm not sure you could totally discern that the actors in the movie weren't the people on the field. You know, if you were just watching it because, because of the way it was cut, you never saw anybody's face. So it was plausible. And they, you know, they had a few of those scenes with, I think it was with David justice character where he's, it's all, you know, dark around, uh, home plate and they've got the catcher and it's just him hitting so there wasn't any of those true game scenes but they I like like you said Gray I like the way they filtered it in to where you had those those scenes that were really zoomed in and then you had the actual clips of the games that uh, were played during that season yeah let's go into landmines things in the movie that we don't love as much I've got well I've got four we'll start with one the Oakland days they suck now they're 48 and 81 currently as we record. Not good. <laughs> not good at baseball. No, they, they're not good at baseball. Good. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. I just wanted to get that out of the way. Not good at baseball right now. So this movie, not an accurate portrayal of the current organization. <laughs> it's too bad because you have so much hope. You like you want to you watch this movie and then you think, oh, I'm going to watch the A's. And you're like, oh, you're just going to be disappointed. Yeah. Um, there so, are yeah. three big ones though I want to dive into, and let's start with Robin Wright. Tara, go. That's that's the only thing I've, I. It's literally in capital letters, like highlighted. Why do we not have more of Robin Wright? I, she's in there. She just kind of trickles in and out of there, and they, you know, I, I don't understand why they don't use her more. Uh, because she's just brilliant. I mean, it's Robin Wright, and why there is no backstory as to why they're no longer together, and kind of building that. I mean, I think they do a nice job with the daughter and bringing her in a little bit, but I think it could have been more. I think we could have, I would like to see a little bit more of that family dynamic and 
him just kind of going into the house and and saying, "Oh, she's got a cell phone at 12 and him saying, "Oh, well, I'm going to, you know, her mother and I will just discuss that." Like there, we know there's more there. And I, yeah, I yeah. would have liked to see a little bit more there. I think you're exact. I'm very confused about the custody agreement because I there seems to be really no rhyme or reason at all about where Casey is going, whether it's with Billy Bean or, or Robin Wright's character. Honestly, she's in one scene and makes one phone call. I don't even know why they cast her. Like, I don't know why she took the part. We either didn't need it at all or needed way, way more. We got we got just an imperfect amount. May, and, you know, maybe it was one of those things where it didn't test well in the first couple screenings and they had to cut a little, you know, they had to cut her kind of part in and out of there. I hope so. Because for you to have Robin Wright uh, as your on your cast and not to use her to her full ability, I, I, you know, there's a lot of males in that in that movie. To be honest, I think we we needed some more females. I, I just I was that is my biggest issue with the movie. Movie. That's it. Like literally, that is my biggest issue. More Robin Wright. Another Sorkinism. <laughs> Struggling with female characters. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I should have known, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I look. Bottom line, Robin Wright deserved better, and thankfully, she got it with all the stuff beyond that. You know, winning so many awards with House of Cards and being in so many important movies. But this was a wasted chance to have one of the best actresses alive in her generation to do something, and they didn't give her anything. Yeah, that's my biggest uh, landmine. I've got one that stuck out the first time I watched the movie. I was waiting for it again this year so I could talk about it. The mom thinking that Billy can go to Stanford and still play for the New York Mets. That is, to me, a line that they wrote for the non-sports people who would be sitting in the theater going, but wait, can't he also go to college and play professional athletics? And that's not, that's not how it works. And realistically, my guess would be that no mother of somebody who's about to sign a professional contract at a high school is not aware of that situation and would be caught by surprise at the kitchen table as the Mets say, no, ma'am, actually, he can either go to college or play pro ball. That, to me, is always something that stuck out as the adoy moment for the non-sports fans watching. Yeah, you always wonder when sports movies are made, how true, you know, they say to what actually happens and... I think you're right, Gray. I think that was written in for the people that don't actually understand how uh, college baseball and professional baseball work. I, I, it had to be because as a mother of a baseball player that is that, you know, highly recruited and that talented, I, I, I find it hard pressed to believe that she doesn't know her, her son can only do one of those two things. And it's probably the worst written part of the movie because she goes, you know, he has a scholarship to Stanford, a full ride. Yes, ma'am. So he can do both, right? No, that's not, that's not how it works. Perhaps I'm being too harsh, but this is a sports podcast and that's insane. No, I don't think you're being too harsh. I thought it was quite ridiculous. <laughs> Speaking of harsh, my last landmine, the TV 36 reporter played by Lisa Guerrero, who actually apparently was a TV sports reporter, in the movie, going around before the first game of the year, asking all these questions to the players, like, are you too old? I, or how are the legs? Are you 100%? No, I want to hear if you're 100%. Yeah, no, I asked you if you were 100%. I'm like, I, I would be like, Lisa, get out of my locker room. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, tell me, what do you think about people talking 
about how your brother just took this kind of contract and yours is tiny, Jeremy Giambi. How does that feel? What? It's before the game. I don't understand. I was really taken aback. I forgot about that scene. And I watched it and I thought, who asks these types of questions uh, first? Again, in the locker room before a game. Maybe that's what used to happen back in the day. I mean, I know reporters were granted a lot more access than today, to be fair. Uh, but, you know, that, that was quite shocking to me as well. Like, oh, your brother gets paid this amount of money. He's gone to the Yankees. Like, oh, and, the, and you're, it's basically dirt cheap for them to have you on here. Like, oh, how do you feel about that? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go play a game in two hours. Uh, l- l- let me answer that question. You know, that was quite silly. Crazy. And then when she's talking, I think it was to David Justice, and another reporter gets a little cl- too close. She goes, get out of my shot. Yeah. And just... <laughs> I mean, she didn't write that, so be fair. It's not her fault. No, that, oh man, it's working. Just, oh, that's so good. Any other landmines before we go to the Tara Henry inspired award? (laughs) No, uh, you know how I feel about Robin Wright. That's it. That was my one landmine. More Robin Wright. More Robin Wright. The J.J. Smith Unsung Hero Award. Which minor character steals the movie in a scene? If you can see it, people, Tara has her head on the table because this is a D1 softball joke. Tara, we don't have to get the whole background, but I I can tell that you're enjoying the J.J. Smith Unsung Hero Award. Well, I mean, she was one of the most most unlikely uh, players to hit a home run at the Women's Cold World Series. So it does make sense. Some people are going to get that joke. Maybe some, some won't. Uh, who knows that's okay who's your pick for the jj smith unsung hero award (laughs) is it the daughter the scene with the daughter playing the guitar and singing in the guitar shop just playing the guitar her humming the song and then that relationship between her and and brad pitt and and you see a softness in him and, and i think she just she nails it she nails that scene and and the way she portrays like she's a little bit embarrassed but then she's really confident in the way that she sings and uh, I just thought that was really special. And you saw that dad-daughter kind of relationship, which I wish you would have seen a little bit more of. I think having the family a little bit more involved, with, again, it would be another critique. But uh, she was my unsung hero. I, I thought, you know, in both the you know, scenes, a couple scenes that she was in, uh, I thought she she stole the show, and especially in that scene in the guitar shop. Casey is on my list. I have two other people as well. First, the scout with the hearing aid who drops the who's Fabio line, but also is the only scout that says, guys, Billy Bean doesn't have to listen to us. And I thought that that showed wisdom with his clearly advanced age. And then also Suzanne, the receptionist, just a maestro with the phones. Hit me, blah, blah, blah. Seconds later, line two. I mean, incredible. And no context needed. One name, you know, Ricardo, get me James, boom. Oh, just yeah. incredible work. Good job, Suzanne. Did we even see Suzanne? I think there were a couple cuts to her. Once during the trade deadline scene, we got a whole shot of her at her desk, which oh. goes Suzanne go. But I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a receptionist for a GM on trade deadline day. Oh, no. Yeah, no. Fantastic job, Suzanne. Uh, well I agree done, Suzanne. Pinch hitter. Morgan Freeman somewhere. Oh. I was just missing a little bit of Morgan Freeman. I don't know what. Morgan Freeman is David Justice? (laughs) No, like maybe. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman is brilliant. 
Like, I, I think he's brilliant. But even a scout at the table, I, I get it. I understand. But I would have liked to see it a little bit more diversity uh, in the film. And who doesn't love Morgan Freeman? I just think, you know, I, I don't know why. I just was like, I was missing Morgan Freeman. And I think he, you know, he's one of my favorites. And um, he could have kind of done pretty much anything in that movie, uh, in my opinion. Um, but he's Morgan Freeman, so he could do anything. I agree with kind of the Morgan Freeman of it all. Any movie with Morgan Freeman, that's, I mean, right. I have no, I have no qualms with that addition. <laughs> I mean, that's a slam dunk, but like literally that's the first thing I thought of. And I just, that movie, the movie's fantastic. And I think he would just make it even more fantastic just because he's Morgan Freeman. The I'm on it quote of the movie award. I'll read my list and then I'll let you go. It's unbelievable how much you don't know about the game you've been playing your whole life. Flashes on the screen at the very beginning. Very poignant in so many ways. This is, uh, a, this is terrible. This is a terrible quote, but it makes me laugh because it's just coming from an old man. It just, it makes me laugh at ugly girlfriend means no confidence. <laughs> this is so wrong. So wrong. That is probably how they were rating players, honestly, on their scale. I am not, I'm not surprised that is, that's probably realistic. Oh yeah. Uh, it is realistic. Uh, is it, it's incredibly wrong. Um, but it, I'm guessing that they did use that as a part of their factors and their skill, which is. Oh crazy. yeah. And uh, as they're all arguing, somebody goes, she's not even a six. I'm like, wow, this is. <laughs> that tells you the old boys club that we're getting into it. Here we go. Oh man. Oh, the A's. The problem is there are rich teams, there are poor teams, yeah. then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. Good stuff. Good meeting. Every time we talk, I'm reinvigorated by my love of the game. You're missing the biggest one, my favorite one. Is losing fun, and I hate losing even more than I want to win. And how can you not be romantic about baseball? That's it. That's it. I was, I was gonna let you throw that in but how, how can you not be romantic about baseball and I feel the same way about softball like how can you not be romantic about the game like I, I just think there are so many incredible moments and whether whether I'll be it that's in regular season but playoff playoff baseball and playoff softball it's just how can you not love it I mean did we not just see it last night with Amanda Chitterster hitting a home run <laughs> right I it just how can you not love it it's good stuff. Any other quotes for quote of the movie that you would like to? Sorry, it's really windy here and uh, today, and the uh, the lights in my backyard just fell down. <laughs> it's like... Oh no! <laughs> oh, but, I mean, it's not normal. So that's that was that face. Sorry, Gray. Um, no, uh, how you how not how how can you not be romantic about baseball? Done. And the I mean the meme uh, the rich team poor teams is 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 coming up so. Yeah, meme generator, best meme of the movie. I will say the Jonah Hill, yes, you know that that little. That's great. Also, apparently, it's a meme now. The this is blank, blank, blank. His defect is blank. That's like an actual meme. You know, they'll say this is blah 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 from this city, and he can do this, this, and this. His defect is he's scared of baseballs and stuff. Like that's something that's swirling around right now. But I love the Jonah Hill fist pump. What do you got? Uh, I got the rich teams, poor teams, 50 feet of crap. And then you have the Mets. Like that's the meme. Like literally it's like, yeah. that, And then it just the Mets, like, cause everybody <laughs> knows like the poor Mets. I mean, are you kidding me? They just can't catch a break. It, it, they're just, 
they get they get real close and then the Yankees are across the way and then it just never happens for them. So that was one of my favorite ones. You got rich teams, four teams, 50 feet of crap, and then you have the Mets. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. The transfer portal award, different movie you'd love to see a main character in. This is one, I don't know. I mean, I would Billy Bean in any courtroom drama, I feel like would thrive with his ability to get anybody to do literally anything in this film. There are a lot of people who buy into a system that, as mentioned earlier, shouldn't work. And because of the buy-in, it works. Yeah, Billy Bean in anything. I don't know. I, I just think even a, I would say, I could see him in like a spy thriller. How about like- Billy Bean in for Brad Pitt's character in the movie Seven alongside Morgan Freeman? Wow, there you go. I mean, I'd watch that. Would you? Well- I think we would catch Kevin Spacey much quicker before the thing happens with the thing in the thing in the desert. No spoilers from me about the thing. Thing. Yeah. The thing. No spoilers. No spoilers. Say it. Maybe we'll do a seven one later. I don't have to. I mean, anything, anything really. Any sports related movie, obviously. But I, I think that character, any motivational type of role to where motivating a, a team, people, whatever that is, leading yeah. anything. And whether that could, that could be criminals too. He could be leading the criminals. And that, you know, I'm like, I feel like I'm like now putting him into Ocean's Eleven, like just because it's Brad Pitt. You know? Like Billy Bean and Taxi Driver. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite see a thriller though, actually. Do you? I don't know. I I feel like we're kind of getting a little off the wall, which is my possibly clunky transition to our final two categories, beginning with off the wall. Little details we still have questions about. Okay. Should Billy Bean have gone to college? I looked it up and Stanford went to the College World Series in 82 and 83. In 80, they were fine. They're like 29, 27, but they started getting better and better. Would he have improved across the board by just going to college. That's something that Billy Bean asked Jonah Hill at one point in the movie. And Jonah Hill says he would have taken Billy in the ninth round. But I think based on what Stanford did in the years when Billy Bean would have gone to college, he absolutely should not have gone pro. I don't know, Tara, what do you think? So he would have been in the eighties you're saying? And he got drafted in 1980. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of alludes to it in the film that obviously he should have gone to Stanford because uh, he didn't quite uh, make it in the bigs. But yeah, back in the day, there's no NIL deals. I think, you know, you've got an education from Stanford. Stanford education. No, I, I think he could have he gone and he should have gone to college. I think he uh, should have been a cardinal. I think he should have been a cardinal. Could have hung out with Tiger. I mean, who knows? Is that the same time? I think Tiger was a little bit later, but still, I mean, you know, they. I'm the Stanford alumni base, sports wise, isn't sprawling, so I'm sure that they would have run into each other at some kind of benefit. Who knows? Is Billy a hothead? Some of the things he breaks slash throws in the movie, stereo, which again, poor you know, organization that it's very tough to replace these things, throws a chair, flips a desk, throws a bat, flips a cooler, breaks his radio. The first two minutes of the movie is Billy a hothead. I think there's some anger there. Yeah, I think so. He does like to throw things, you know, maybe some frustration. Anything else you want to touch on with Billy being a psychotic maniac? Just kidding. It's an overreading. 
uh, he just likes to throw things. And maybe it's for uh, effect. I don't know. Maybe baseball players respond to when he throws things. I, I don't know. I, I think that might be part of it. Who knows? It's okay. We've all been there. It's a diamond sport thing. We, I've, I've, I've hit a wall or two. You know, it's it happens. <laughs> you know, I never really was a bat thrower or any of that. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I just hit more balls off the tee or, or, or one or more BP. It wasn't really ever a bat thrower or a wall puncher, to be honest. So. Anytime anything bad happens, I'm usually just a deep sigh, head down. There is one bit of GoPro footage of me punching a wall that, I, that I'm holding together. I will not say what game it was. I was, I was very sad and upset. Um, this wasn't this past year. I'll just say that. Is Art Howe a good manager? How do we feel about it? Mick, I'm mixed because he doesn't buy in. And we all know Billy's right because when he does buy in, they start winning. But at the same time, it is Art who has Scott go up and hit the home run that wins them the game to get the streak record. Yeah, I think, again, it's the changing of the old school and new school kind of type of mentality. So I think if you're looking at Art as a, a manager, he probably was one that wanted to manage the feel of the game and, and knowing his players. So to be slapped with all these numbers and say, no, actually your field doesn't really mean anything. These numbers are what are right. I, I think that's putting him a, as a manager in a very tough position and, and that transition is tough. So yeah, barring all the things he had to go through, I, I would argue he's a pretty good manager. He still has to put it into play. You know, they still have to win games. They still won 20 games in a row. True. And if your guys don't want to play for you, you're not going to win 20 games in a row. So I, I, I think he's probably actually not that bad of a manager if you're, if you're truly asking. That's a fair point. It's, it's an interesting conversation to have, as is this last one. Should Billy have taken the Red Sox job? $12.5 million. It literally works two years later when the Red Sox win the World Series in 2004. This feels like a slam dunk. Why didn't he do this scenario? Because he would have found all of his dreams. Yeah, it wouldn't have been with Oakland, but this seems like something he should have done automatically. It's funny. You just introing this makes me think of the transfer portal and Ooh. how the grass is always greener when you, you know, you want something bigger and better and then you go to the next biggest thing, but are you actually really fulfilled? Are you actually, you know, fulfilling your life's calling just because you've got, you've got the next better opportunity or do you want to stay and build something that you've put your blood and sweat and tears in that you've put all your hard work into and help take from the bottom to uh, argue with the topic with little or no money. So at first I would have said, yeah, of course, he should have been a Boston Red Sox. But then once you started talking, I said, no, this actually is like the transfer portal. Like, who, what kind of a player are you? What kind of a person are you? Do you want to stay and help build something? Or do you want to go somewhere else where the grass is greener and, and it's already built and, and easier? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. This has taken a philosophical and softball-esque turn, and I can't believe I never even considered it. You're exactly right. It is literally the same. Would that World Series with the Red Sox have felt great? Yeah, of course. Would it have felt a little bit better if it were with the A's? Yeah, probably. And I think, I don't know, I think that kind of gets to the heart of the portal. I think you're exactly right. Wow. I mean, I don't know why that just kind of, it just the way you entered it. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. This is it. We can equate this to the transfer portal. That's it. There, we could name so many names, but we won't.
Last one, the Kelly Creshman, Jackie Tran, Haley McClinney Award for MVP of the movie. Who's your MVP, Tara? Jonah Hill. Really? I went Brad Pitt. Okay, give me your Jonah Hill case. I don't think Brad Pitt's performance is as good if Jonah's not there. Okay. And I think his character allows Brad Pitt to, to be Brad Pitt and be this incredible performance. I know he was up for the Oscar and, and, and uh, for Best Actor, but I do think that Jonah Hill, him coming in and, and really offering a different kind of perspective and his timing, the way he kind of supports Brad. I, I think the easy one is to go with Brad, but I really personally like Jonah's performance. I can't find an argument. I mean, it's, it's a great point. I, I just feel like with what Brad Pitt does in the movie, to me, it, it almost seemed clear. Normally, I, I do have Jonah Hill on my list right here, but I'm giving it to Brad Pitt. I mean, you could easily say Brad Pitt, but I personally, I really liked, jo- I think Jonah Hill's character, I, I really enjoyed it. I w- enjoyed his quirkiness, everything about it. Uh, and that's just my personal uh, opinion. You, obviously, best actor could go to Brad Pitt and should have. But I personally loved uh, John Hill's character. I'm with you. You could also say the director, Bennett Miller, who made a sports movie that is accessible to the non-sports people and made a sports movie about math, fun and entertaining. That's impossible to do. Yeah, sabermetrics are entertaining. Uh, and regular people were going to see this. <laughs> regular people and knew nothing about it. So, hmm. yeah, no. What a great movie. I'm excited we chose it. Chose this we, one. We love Moneyball. Thank you to Terry Henry for picking it. Any final thoughts before we wrap up about anything we've talked about, whether it be retirements or new coaches or movies or Serena Williams, whatever you want to touch on, Tara. Blank slate. I mean, oh, Serena Williams. What what an athlete. What a, I mean, legends across all sports, women's sports. And again, another pioneer, another uh, female that has allowed women to start making or you know help women start making money serious money uh in a sport and she's part of that and you know another retirement that is uh in 2022 what about like all these massive retirements tough year tough year but no i mean moneyball loved it i think we're gonna see a lot more and we are seeing a ton of that in softball uh more analytics more data more data-driven decisions. I think we're seeing a lot of that and just ready for season. I can't believe I'm saying this, ready for season to start again because we've had you know, a little bit of a break here, but excited for February. Me too. I cannot wait for fall ball to get rolling. We'll have games coming up in the next couple months. And we'll have more episodes about the box office in the very, very near future. We've still got Titanic with Sam Fisher again on the docket. Uh, Lance McMahon will come on the show very soon. We've got a lot planned in the near future. But for now, that's Moneyball. For my non-existent on this podcast partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Greer Robertson. Tara Henry, special guest, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Graver. for having me. Can't wait uh, to chat again soon. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. This has been Out of the Box Office. We'll see you next time. Bye.